The Lifestylist, episode 63, featuring Dr. Jack Wolfson. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You, my friend, just won the podcast lottery. You know why? Because you stumbled across the Lifestylist Podcast, and I'm your host, Luke Story. Really excited about today's episode featuring Dr. Jack Wolfson, the paleocardiologist. So this is a really good myth-busting episode about the paleo lifestyle. Turns out that paleo is not just a diet or a type of food, it's actually a way that you can live. So Jack shares with us the story of his father's death and how that really transformed his medical practice. So we talk a lot about the medical system, what's the problem with our current model of medical care, and why he kind of bailed on the traditional Western allopathic model and now works in a more holistic function using the paleo lifestyle. Here are some other things that we talk about in this episode, because I'm going to rattle them off. So pay attention, and then you can listen to the show itself to get the rest of it. So here's the bullet points. Drum roll, please. What are a few of the most dangerous pharmaceutical drugs? What is paleo after all? And why are so many foods labeled paleo actually not that good for you? <laughs> They're foods that like weren't around in ancient times, and how we can avoid those marketing traps. Then did ancient people suffer from the diseases that we do currently? Turns out they were actually pretty damn healthy. Then what's up with cholesterol? Why we were taught eating fat, eggs, meat, all that stuff gives you quote unquote high cholesterol. Turns out that's not entirely true. We actually need cholesterol in order to be healthy. The difference between pastured grass-fed animal products versus uh, factory farm animals in terms of your health and the environment, why it's so important to eat organ meats, If cholesterol is so necessary for health, how can vegans and vegetarians be healthy without having that in their diet? And is it possible to get all the nutrition the body needs from a vegetarian or vegan diet? What's missing? You're going to find out when you listen. Why dairy is not part of the paleo diet. Why seafood is actually the healthiest food on the planet, according to the good doctor. And what are the healthiest fats we can eat? Turns out fat is not the enemy. It's a matter of which fat you're eating. And surprise, we also learned that fat does not actually make you fat. It helps you to stay lean. Really weird stuff. Some of you might know that. A lot of it's news to me in these interviews. What fats or oils should be avoided like the plague and what oils should never be cooked? Turns out some fats or oils are cool until you cook them or cook them at too high of a temperature, then they become whack. So we're gonna learn that. And we've been taught that the sun is bad for you. And Jack teaches us why getting full body sun exposure is so important for our health. Why peanuts are bad for you and why they are not part of the paleo diet. Turns out they're not even nuts. We're going to learn a lot of weird stuff today. If you are going to eat nuts, the importance of soaking them rather than just eating them raw. Then the dangers of the evil gluten and its relation to leaky gut and all of the inherent problems that come after that. And a lot of people think it's healthy to eat tons of fruit. Why that might not be true. Why is refined sugar so bad for us? And what are some healthy alternatives? 
why we should avoid corn and soy products for the most part, then what's the deal with organic food? Is it really that important? I mean, is it worth paying the extra money for in terms of um, going to a store like Whole Foods rather than Costco or something like that? Like, does it really move the needle in terms of our health? Turns out it does, in fact. What's Roundup and how does it hurt you? How, why we want to avoid pesticides like that? And something really interesting that we talked about on the show as well is how dry cleaning solvents are super toxic and is the organic dry cleaning really safe? Is it important to use only organic personal care products on your body? I would say yes. Jack's got some great info on that. And then finally, what is the best bottled water to drink and why we should absolutely avoid drinking uh, drinks with tap water or just drinking tap water? And what is the truth about alkaline water? So there you go, my friend. Tons of information covered today. I want to thank you so much for joining me on another episode. I think you're going to learn a lot. If you know someone that's got some health issues or is interested in sort of transforming their diet and their lifestyle, or you know someone into the paleo thing or that's curious about paleo, please do us all a favor and forward this episode to them. And finally, don't forget, next week on Tuesday, I'll be dropping episode 64 with Joe Piazza, where we talk about getting married, staying married, and actually enjoying it and being happy. So it's an episode about relationships, a really funny two-part episode actually next Tuesday and Friday. So I will be back in your eardrums then. Until then, stay healthy, stay paleo, be well. Hey, I've got a cool feature at LukeStory.com to tell you about. It's our support page. You can go to LukeStory.com forward slash support, and there you will find three quick and easy ways to make a monetary pledge to help support the cost of the podcast. You can pay with a credit card, PayPal, or even go on Patreon through the link there, where you can make a monthly pledge for as little as $2 and receive exclusive rewards every damn month, okay? So go to LukeStory.com forward slash support and do whatever you can to help contribute to the show. And if you just want to listen, that's a great contribution as well. Thank you so much for your support. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. I discovered this product a few months ago and it has changed the game for me. Everybody knows that green juice is good for you, right? Here's the deal though. Couple disadvantages to your average cold pressed green juice. A, a lot of times it comes in plastic, not good. B, it's usually loaded with sugar up to 25 grams, which is basically like drinking a green Coca-Cola. Not happening. Next is they go bad. You can't leave it sitting out and they're really bad for travel. So I love my green juice. That's cool. Cold press. I get the sugar-free ones. I'm into it. But Organifi makes a green powdered superfood that comes in these little packets that are portable and you can take with you. So I keep them in my car and in my bag and on demand. Anytime I have a bottle of water, I can pour one of these in there and have an instant green juice. Alcohol energizing, gives you mental clarity. It's fantastic. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. A lot of the green powders not only taste gross and are overpriced, but they'll have like 200 ingredients. And I'm always thinking, how much of each ingredient is actually in there, okay? These 11 superfoods are the important ones that you need, like turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, and coconut water. And it's sweetened with monk fruit, so it's got a zero glycemic index. It's fantastic stuff. So if you want to check this drink out, work on your health in a way that actually tastes good and is super convenient, here's what you do. Go to Organifi.com, that's with an I, Organifi, Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20% off your order. You guys know I always give you a hookup if I'm going to tell you about something cool that I discovered. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 20%. It's really good stuff.
Our show today, folks, is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies in the world of medicinal mushrooms. So Four Sigmatic make these amazing little packets of herbal and superfood elixirs. They're delicious, they're super potent, very high-quality herbs, and they're really, really easy to use. So they're a standalone drink. You can make them hot or cold. They come in a little packet. It's a powder. You stir it up, blend it. You're good to go. Or you can add it to an existing drink, like a Bulletproof Coffee, for example. If you caught my episode one and got the episode upgrade, or you happen to have seen it on YouTube, I make an amazing recipe called Supercharged Bulletproof Coffee, in which I use Four Sigmatic Herbs. So it's one of my favorite companies. I use their stuff all the time. I absolutely stand behind them. They are badass. What's even more badass is that I got you a little hookup, my friend. That's right. We got you covered with a 15% off coupon at foursigmatic.com. Go to the site, enter this code, the lifestylist, and you will save 15%. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code, the lifestylist, for a 15% discount. And if you'd like a recommendation on where to start once you get there, I would definitely get cracking on the chaga and the Rishi blends. Those are two of my very favorite drinks. And chaga is kind of difficult to make on your own. And when you boil it like I do, you really only get the water extraction and not the fat-soluble extraction in which you would have to use alcohol. So they use a dual extraction, which you're going to hear about in episode 8 with Taro Isakalpila, the co-founder of the company. So enjoy your medicinal mushrooms, stay healthy, stay strong, stay well, enjoy the lifestyle. Jack Wolfson is a certified cardiologist who uses nutrition and supplements to prevent and treat disease. After 10 years performing angiograms, pacemakers, and other cardiac procedures, Dr. Wolfson started Wolfson Integrative Cardiology in 2012 to offer patients the ultimate in holistic heart care. Raised in Chicago, he attended Midwestern University for his DO degree and completed a three-year internal medicine residency and a three-year cardiology fellowship. He was selected as the chief fellow of his class. Together with his wife, Dr. Heather Wolfson, D.C., they are the Doctors Wolfson. Their website, thedoctorswolfson.com, is an excellent resource for holistic health and lifestyle information. The Doctors Wolfson have two beautiful boys who were born at home, nursed over three years, and they are still co-sleeping. The Amazon bestseller, The Paleocardiologist, is the first book written by Dr. Wolfson. Welcome to the show, Jack. It's great to see you and talk to you today. Uh, it's great to be speaking with you, Luke. Uh, pleasure to be on your uh, your program. Yeah, I've been digging in your book, man. And I got to say, especially a book written by a doctor, because sometimes the medical world gets a little too heady for me. And it's difficult for me to read just from a standpoint of not just understanding it, but it's not engaging because it's too scientific and technical. And I just get bogged down in all of the data. Your book, The Paleocardiologist, is very cool because... I get the feeling that it's based on data and science, but it's actually really easy to read. And so it was fun for me because when I have a guest on, of course, like I want to read their book, watch their videos, listen to podcasts they've been on. And sometimes I'm like, fuck, (laughs) how am I going to like read this book if it's too dry and like dense? But as I read your book, it was really, really inspiring. I was excited to interview you because not only was it easy for me to understand, but I literally agree with and live by, I think, 
every single thing you talk about in your book. So it was a great find for me because it's something I can recommend to people if they're like, hey, I'm into the stuff you talk about on your show. What's the next step? I mean, it's like an absolute, like very quick go-to book. So kudos on that. And thank, uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was definitely, you know, the writing the book is always, it's a labor of love and took me a lot of time to do it between wife and and our two boys and uh, my medical practice, you know, to finally get it done. And I kind of, you know, when people ask me when I, you know, wrote the book, I'm like, ah, you know, typically I would, on my way to work, I, as I'm driving, I'm uh, uh, taking notes and writing the book and typing while I'm driving. That's, you know, or, or while I'm sleeping, that's when I would find time to do it. But, uh, you know, 300 references at the end of the book. So for people that are, you know, other cardiologists, uh, you know, I wrote it for the public and I wrote it for other cardiologists to take a look at it and say, hey, you know, here's another way to look at cardiovascular disease. And there's 300 references. You don't believe me? You, you know, you want to call me names or, you know, I'm just a cardiologist who went, you know, who went off the deep end. There's 300 references. Go, go look at the source. Right. I appreciate that. So that's good. You got, you have the skeptics covered and you have the common person covered, which is really, as I was telling you before we started recording, that's kind of the purpose of this show is to take ideas that are either really dense and scientific and difficult to understand for a normal person or ideas that are just too fringe and weird and like woo-woo for, you know, a logical person to understand and kind of meet in the middle. So I felt your book was a perfect match. And I just, I want to just jump into the story. And, you know, the book starts out with you telling the story of your father's um, untimely death. And from my account, a seemingly unnecessary and a lifestyle-based illness that he experienced. And that's what really was the catalyst for you transforming not only your own life, but your practice as well and your whole medical point of view. So if you could take us back to that and how that kind of shaped your current model. Yeah, sure thing. You know, when I finished up my training in 2002, so four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine, three years of cardiology, moved out from Chicago to Arizona 2002, was with the big practice, seeing a gazillion patients and angiograms and pacemakers like a typical hospital-based cardiologist. And at that time, my father, who was also a cardiologist, was getting sick. And he came down with this Parkinson's-like syndrome and the doctors at the Mayo Clinic said there's nothing for us to do. You know, it's, it's a diagnosis called PSP or progressive supranuclear palsy. And there's nothing we can do. He'll be dead within five years. And you know what, Luke? He was dead within five years. And it was a torturous, cruel death that you would never wish on anyone. And uh, he was really a great man. He was just amazing. And to see him, you know, in his late 50s just go downhill and then die at 63 is just senseless. And then at that time, around that time, I met the woman who would become my wife, and she is a doctor of chiropractic. And as she says, DC stands for doctor of chiropractic, but also doctor of cause. And she opened up my eyes to the holistic world, to the natural world, to becoming a doctor of cause. And then once that started steamrolling for me, it was, it was just an epiphany for me to open up my eyes and look into why people have disease, why people have cardiovascular disease, and the conventional cardiologists don't get it. They are just about the pills and the procedures, which if they have any benefit, it's small. And I did not want my life to become what happened to my father. So I decided to change my practice and um, the rest has been just incredible. And now I can talk to guys like you, which is totally awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love interviewing people like you that sort of like came from inside the matrix 
right? And then had an epiphany and woke up and got unplugged from the matrix. And now you're sort of a beacon of information and hope for other people to help unplug them from the matrix. And what I mean by the matrix is, you know, the ineffective, uh, <laughs> just not not reality-based system, whatever that is, whether it's medical or otherwise. And especially in the medical system, I think that a lot of people aren't even aware that there's alternatives. Like I have a good friend that has fibromyalgia and she has no idea where it came from, how it happened. And just being into this stuff for a long time, I asked her um, shortly after finding out that she had that because it just wrecked her life in the course of the past couple of years. And I just, I know to ask her the question, I said, have you ever had any teeth extracted or had any root canals? And she's like, oh yeah, I had three wisdom teeth taken out and I had a root canal. It was a disaster. My face has been swollen and sore ever since. And I'm like, ah, she has a cavitation, systemic infection. Boom. That's probably has a lot to do just from a layman's point of view to do with an issue like that or autoimmune diseases. And so I sent her to a, a biological dentist and she didn't even know that, that there's another world of dentistry outside of just you know, what we call drill them and bill them. And yep. you send and same thing, you send someone to a functional medicine doctor and they're always like, wow, that was so cool. They actually listened to me and they asked me what I'm eating and they ordered the right labs. And there's another world of medicine that people don't know exists. And so I'm, I'm just so grateful that people like you are doing what you do. And so coming from that standpoint, I mean, you know, I know there's a lot to it and we could probably have a five hour podcast just on this one question, but why are we stuck in medicine today in medical care or quote unquote health care, which I like to call disease care? What's the problem? Like, why can't we get better? Why are people stuck? Well, you know, first of all, you referenced the movie, The Matrix or the actual Matrix. Who would have thought when we were all watching that movie in the mid nineties or whenever it came out that like, it was, it's a true story, right? Uh, it's so applicable to a doctor like me, you know, people you've interviewed and other holistic doctors that were plugged into the matrix. And then it's like you become liberated, you become free from that pharmaceutical, you know, corporate complex that is just so controlling of the doctors and the brainwashing that occurs from, I mean, heck, I mean, my father was a cardiologist. I mean, I was brainwashed from birth uh, about pills and procedures. Now, my father, rest his soul, was not a big like pill and procedure person because he was a doctor of the 70s, really. And his training, you know, it was about kind of diagnosis and congenital heart disease and people with like weird stuff. That's what those guys really got off on, you know, when he was training at the Cleveland Clinic, the real oddball cases. And, but now the conventional cardiologist is just about the drugs, the drugs, the drugs, and the stress tests, and the angiograms, and the stents, and the bypass surgeries. But back to your question, I think that people are just waking up, you know, these doctors of the internet, you know, thank God, for, you know, thanks for the internet to allow people to share these ideas, to awaken for books like mine to get out to people in Korea and the South Pacific and Africa. I mean, people have literally flown in from all around the world to come to my office because there's not many holistic cardiologists that are out there. And I think that the game is changing. And fundamentally, I guess at this point, Luke, it's so financially driven still by, oh, I have insurance and you don't accept my insurance. You don't take insurance. Therefore, I can't see you. I think that's one factor. And the other factor is, frankly, Luke, as you know, there's so many people who just don't care. They are just dialed 
out of reality. They're happy on their pills and procedures. They're happy with their Starbucks. They're happy with all the toxic pollutants in their environment and not breastfeeding their kids and dumping them off in daycare when they're six weeks. You know, all those kind of things that people are happy to do, but my wife and I are here to wake them up. And uh, so is, uh, you know, being on your podcast. So yeah, let's get the message out there. So in terms of the medical system as I see it now, the traditional Western allopathic, it's really about treating the symptom, right? So the, I think the typical experience is you have a symptom, say, um, you know, whatever, I have a sinus problem or an ear problem or a pain somewhere, right? Or I'm getting sick all the time. So I go to the doctor, I go to the general practitioner, and then they refer me out to a specialist. And essentially... I would never been asked like, well, what are you eating? Do you exercise? What kind of water do you drink? You know, do you have a shower filter? You know, do you drink soda? Are you eating junk food? It's like, it's really just like, all right, what drug can we give you or surgery can we perform to stop the symptom? So it's really about like, if you have acne and you go to a dermatologist, they give you cream to put topically on your face rather than going like, have you had your hormones looked at lately? Or have you, you know, done a fast or a colonic? It's just based on like, the symptom. And I think that's kind of the way that I see it as a patient. And years ago was like, you know what, fuck this. I'm not gonna like be running around to all these doctors that I walk in there and they give me 10 minutes. I can see them like looking at their watch and they don't listen to anything that I say. And if I've done some research and ask a meaningful question, they just blow me off like I'm an idiot. This just happened to me recently. I went to the most famous or one of the most famous ENT clinics in the world. It happens to be in Los Angeles because I had ringing in my ear and I was getting some vertigo and stuff. And I walked in there and I started talking to this doctor who's like, I don't know, it could be a PhD for all I know. And I'm like, I'm telling him about all these alternative treatments for tinnitus, you know, for ringing in the ears. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't I've never heard of any of that. Like, I'm like, why would you like be an ENT in one of the most famous clinics in the world and like never go on Google and just be like, hey, is there a cure for this? You know, right. it's just like, he's just not interested. You know what he, he what he, the, what I walked out of there with and thank God my insurance paid and I didn't pay out of pocket because I would have been so pissed. Like his takeaway was, well, caffeine can do this. So you should just not drink coffee and then see how that goes and write a weekly diary of how much coffee you drink and how much ringing you had in your ears. And I'm like, Really? This big building, all of these degrees, like this office staff, the parking lot, the whole thing. And it's like, don't drink coffee? Like, really, dude? Right. He was hoping that you have something like an acoustic neuroma uh, that he can do an MRI on and he can bill, you know, for the MRI, the CT, and he can send it to his buddies and his buddies can refer back to him and then he can do surgery on your neuroma. And then his other buddies, the you know, radiation oncologist can blast you with radiation. Luke, you hit the nail on the head. It's just, I mean, they've got a 10 minute office visit and they don't really care about your problems. They care about getting you out of that room. And I know that because I was in the matrix. I was in that practice where someone walks through my door. I want to know how fast I can get them out my door and what kind of tests I can order on them and how I can make money from it because that's how I was trained. When I came out to Arizona in 2002, the practice I joined, they sat me down and said, here's how we do it in Arizona because forget everything you learned in your medical training. Out here in Arizona, you order stress tests and cardiac ultrasound on everybody and you're gonna do it every 10 minutes because that's how you're gonna pay for your car and your house and your fancy clothing and that's how you're gonna hire a clothing stylist like Luke Story, you know, to, uh, you know, to you know, fit you in the best garb from uh, Brunello Cuccinelli and uh, that's how you're gonna roll and that's what I did. I mean, so I get all that and it's just, it's so sad for those doctors because 
There's such an amazing world out there, but they're so addicted to the money. They're not going to hear what other people like us have to say. They're not interested because I left a group of 40 doctors and I was trying to teach, just make little inroads and say, hey, how about probiotics? Here's the evidence. How about fish oil? Here's the evidence. Let's talk about you know nutrition. Let's talk about the fact our patients need sleep and they need sunshine. Like, whoa, wait, wait, hold, hold on, hold on. No, we don't have time to talk about any of that. We need to talk about statin drugs, blood pressure drugs, making sure they're on aspirin, and get a stress test on your way out. That's what they're about. And their model is dead. It's failing miserably. And uh, we're winning. That's all there is to it. We are winning this because theirs is not even broken. It's just, it's never worked. It's totally dysfunctional. And the world's waking up. So, and, and I just want to say in, in fairness, because I'm, I'm sure some doctors are going to hear this that are still in the matrix and be like, hey, F you, I'm a good person. You know, I, it's, yeah. it's not that, you know, a doctor that's in that paradigm is a bad guy or is greedy or is taking advantage of, you know, his, um, his patients. It's just, it's the system itself. And the system churns out a certain mindset and a certain way of doing things that's dysfunctional. So I just, I just want to say that as a, you know, as a polite, uh, you know, forgiveness of the doctors that just sort of were sort of like born into that and educated into that and don't know any better. And also, if you are one of these doctors and you're like, wait, that's the matrix I'm in, like, wake up, man, <laughs> you know, like get out of it because the public is becoming educated. I mean, I asked that same doctor, so what about, have you ever heard about anyone getting like stem cells injected into their ear canal or something, any kind of stem cell therapy? And he's just like, no, I've never really heard of stem cells. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. what the F, you know? So, yeah. Well, you know, listen, as the husband of a chiropractor, I certainly, you know, recommend chiropractic for pretty much everything as a first go-to. And I think it's phenomenal, certainly for, you know, for tinnitus. And, and yeah, of course, you know, looking at, you know, causation of all the different things that could be going on uh, that's doing it. And I mean, listen, I'm not here to insult, you know, doctors and obviously emergency room doctors, trauma surgeons. I mean, they have a role, but the past is the past. We're not here to beat up anybody about the past. It's about, okay, let's forget the past and let's move yeah. forward doing the right thing. That's what you and I are talking about here. It's not about, oh, you were a shitty mother, you know, or a shitty father, or, you know, you did so much for the money. Because frankly, Luke, uh, you know, yes, they're good people, and I get all that, but uh, it is so much money-driven, man. It, it just is. I mean, we all got med school loans to pay, and we've got... Uh, you know, practices and, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, that, that go into, we're not here to beat up the people about the past. Let's go, let's go forward. I love it. Great message. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into the nitty gritty of some of the details. Then what do you think are some of the most dangerous pharmaceutical drugs that people are typically taking? Well, you know, my book is, is all about giving people information, the information they're not typically getting at their medical doctor's office. And in my world of cardiology uh, or any other thing, we have to look at the risks and benefits. And when it comes to the benefits of the pharmaceuticals, so often they're small. So take statin drugs. Statin drugs can lower your risk of a heart attack, stroke, or dying from 7% down to 6%. What we want is we want 0%. We want people to achieve that. And we know the medical side, by definition, can't offer that because they've already told us that they are only 6%, for example. And once again, if we follow that natural holistic path and we get the things that we need to do that I talk about in the book, we can lower it down to 0%. But, uh, you know, it's a Band-Aid approach. The, uh, you know, when people have high blood pressure, it's not a deficiency of blood pressure drugs. If their cholesterol is abnormal, it's not a deficiency in statin drugs. Cancer is not a deficiency in chemotherapy. We weren't born with those deficiencies. Uh, we need to find the cause 
and we will be successful. That's, I love that. That's, that's really good. That's good. If there's a tweetable from this, it's in there somewhere. I love that. Yeah. Chemo is, not, <laughs> that's great. All right. That's good. Uh, thank you. And you know, I appreciate you're a gentleman. You don't want to throw any particular pharmaceutical under the bus, but like, I just hear such nightmare stories about statins and things like that. Like I'm terrified to take prescription drugs. Um, so let's get into the lifestyle because if the current medical system that's quickly becoming antiquated and outdated, and we're going to get rid of that. And you said, and move into the future, then this is really about developing a lifestyle that is preventative of disease. So living a lifestyle based on exercise, your air, your environment, your food, your water and all of that. What led you to the paleo diet and what is that? I'm sure a lot of people maybe are on a paleo diet and a lot of people just hear that as a trendy buzzword and actually have no clue what it is. So what's paleo and why would one want to live that that type of lifestyle or diet in order to remain disease free? Well, I think you really uh, you know hit it there is that it's not just about the paleo diet and it's not just about diet. It is about that paleolithic lifestyle. What did our ancestors do? How did they live for a million years? And they lived in a very healthy fashion. And when you take all of those components of that paleo lifestyle and put it into you know the modern day, we can be very healthy. If you look at things for the last uh, you know, uh, you know, 100 years, obviously, people have gotten away from so many of those basics uh, but w if we can apply what we've learned for for millennia gone by, people will do very well. And, you know, I talk about paleo nutrition in my book. And what does paleo mean? Paleo means old stone age from a time before recorded history or, frankly, the time leading up to the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago. So it may be, you know, 2 million years ago to 10,000 years ago. How did we live then and how can we apply that to modern society? And when we do, we're very successful our ancestors were hunter-gatherers. They ate, uh, of course, everything was organic. All the meat was free-range grass-fed. All the seafood was wild. Uh, all the nuts and seeds and eggs and avocados and coconuts and olives and all those things were, you know, how we consumed. We were not big uh, grain eaters. We were not big dairy eaters, for sure. We didn't chase after other animals and try and milk them or make cheese, butter, and yogurt. You know, Luke, I mean, can you imagine uh, going after a wild animal that's producing milk for its young, which means you're coming near that wild animal that's nursing its young. Uh, you know, that wild buffalo would kill <laughs> so you. Funny. You could get, no, and let alone like to milk it. Dude, that's hilarious when um, you were saying that the first animal that came to mind was like a bison on the plains of, of North America. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, let's chase the bison down and squeeze its teats until we get some milk out. Yeah, not gonna happen. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm like a, you know, I'm like a little Jewish guy from like the suburbs of Chicago. My father was a cardiologist. You know, I mean, I wouldn't go near, I wouldn't even think about going, I, you know, my dog, if my dog barks, I get nervous, you know? So, and then of course it was a low sugar society. We had fruit in season, you know, we had honey, you know, raw honey, you know, on occasion, but you know, the, I mean, pretty much every diet agrees now that Sugar is, you know, one of the worst things outside of the artificial stuff, which is obvious, but, uh, you know, sugar is bad and so many people are sensitive to grain and dairy. And when I pull people off those foods, they do very well. But I talk about this in the book, Luke. I say, whatever diet you follow, just make it organic. Just make it organic. Uh, pay attention to the pesticides, to the chemicals in the food that are destroying our environment. If you eat meat, uh, please eat, you know, free-range grass-fed. If you eat eggs, eat pastured eggs. Even if you eat dairy, you know, do raw dairy. If you eat wheat, do the whole, you know, wheat. 
uh, preferably from an ancient grain that was sprouted and prepared the right way. So, you know, I'm sure you've had guests on that talk, you know, the same way, but I, I can only say from my standpoint, from a cardiologist standpoint, it works. It works as far as getting the appropriate lipid numbers, the appropriate markers of inflammation, the uh, appropriate blood pressure. This type of lifestyle is the answer. Thanks for that summary. That's a really good overview. And I'm going to go back in and unpack a lot of those items because I think there's some details in there that I want to extrapolate. But I also wanted to touch on something funny like marketing wise. You know, it's like years ago, everyone was into being a raw vegan and then everything was raw, like raw food, raw food, raw food. And even some things that you probably wouldn't want to eat raw were marketed as like a health food. You know, it's like, I don't think I want to eat raw broccoli. You know what I'm saying? At least in copious amounts. So there's things like that. And especially with kale and things that have the, what's that? Uh, oxalates, the uh, acid stuff. Anyway, I forget. So there was the raw food sort of, you know, trend. And then there's the paleo thing now. And it's it like cracks me up because I'll go into Whole Foods and you go down like the frozen aisle and there's like paleo pizzas and all of this like very processed food. And they're trying to make money marketing it as paleo. And I'm thinking like, hmm, I don't think that, <laughs> that in ancient times they had any of this crap. It was like you said, it was like organ meats, grass fed meat, wild seafood, eggs of different from different birds and um, and different kinds of vegetation and herbs and mushrooms and things like that. So it, it's it, have you noticed that it's like the, the paleo thing has kind of become so widespread marketing wise that there's a lot of bogus stuff that sort of infiltrated that ethos? No doubt. I mean, when you look at the, you know, the food that's out there, obviously, uh, you know, paleo, you know, a lot of the paleo people are gluten free and, you know, going gluten free. Then it's all these gluten free products is gluten free bagels and pizzas and cookies and cupcakes. And that's clearly not beneficial. That's just so heavily processed, so high on the glycemic index and glycemic load. It's clearly an issue. So I, I definitely agree. You know, paleo is not a fad. Paleo is the lifestyle that we've been living for millions of years. Any other diet is a fad. If you talk about veganism, it's a fad. It's a dangerous fad. Veganism, vegetarianism, the, you know, South Beach diet, the blood type diet, all that stuff is all just bogus. Uh, and, and you're right, it's created a whole, you know, not even cottage industry, a huge industry with people trying to sell that processed junk. My staff right now is out in your territory, out in Anaheim, you know, where they're at, out in the LA area, and they're at Expo West at the convention center. That is all like the natural, you know, food products and stuff like that. And that's just all processed garbage. Uh, now, clearly it's better than eating uh, McDonald's cookies and cupcakes. I clearly agree with that. But uh, yeah, it's about doing better. And I love eating raw food. I mean, listen, obviously our ancestors were gatherers and they gathered the raw broccoli and the kale. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, can we point to certain anti-nutrients in there and talk about the oxalates and, you know, what that may do? But uh, I don't really find that much of a problem. When you're eating the right diet, you're in good shape. If you're eating garbage food and then too much kale for whatever reason, yeah, maybe it could be a problem. But uh, I, I think when you stick with the natural foods, you're in pretty good shape. Did ancient peoples suffer from the same diseases that we find now, degenerative diseases, whether they be physical, uh, mental illness, neuroses? Is there anywhere on record where diabetes, heart disease, cancer, schizophrenia, like did all this stuff happen to people back in the day or is this all relatively new after this um, agricultural transition happened from like wild foods to farmed foods? What was the health like of natural native people? Well, I think that unfortunately, there's not a lot of data 
from those days. Uh, as far as, you know, history really is only 10,000 years old as far as recorded history is concerned. So you will find the Egyptians, you will find the Romans talking about disease, but those are all people that were living in filth, living in squalor, a lot of dirty water, and because those were major cities where they were recording history. So if you talk about ancient Rome or ancient Greece, you know, they're going to have those diseases first mentioned there. But there are paleo peoples that are still around on this planet. There's not many of them, but they're in the jungles in the Amazon, or they're Eskimos, or they're in Africa, Australian Aborigines, people that follow their native plan. They live a long time and they do very well. The only reason they would get sick is because of trauma. If we've evolved on this planet for millions of years, why would we evolve to have coronary disease, to have heart attacks or strokes or cancer or diabetes or dementia or PSP like my father. Why would we be genetically programmed? It's obviously when you think about it, none of that makes sense. What makes sense, and I just, I can see it in my patients today, I can see it in my own health, when people follow the wisdom of mother nature, they do extraordinarily well which is which is great because now we have answers because i was frustrated in the old medical practice i mean i'd see someone their blood pressure is still high they're on four pharmaceuticals they're on three different uh, uh cholesterol drugs and they feel like crap and we're trying to figure out why but in medical school they never taught us why we never learned anything about lifestyle about nutrition about sleep about phys we never learned anything about exercise we just told people go exercise oh great uh go exercise thanks for the advice doctor uh you have to give them a plan. So when I tell my patients about exercise, I say, just go outside and go for a walk. Go out. I live in Arizona. Go for a hike. Go for a bike ride. Go outside and do 10 push-ups. It doesn't have to be difficult. It can actually be very simple. And when people hear the truth for the first time, like you said, they go to their natural holistic doctor and they walk out of there. I mean, people walk out of my office and they're like just stunned by the experience that they just received. Uh, and that's a great feeling for me. Let's talk about some more details. What's up with cholesterol? There's a lot of hype around cholesterol. And I remember years ago when I started eating, I mean, I wouldn't label myself paleo per se, but I started eating a lot of really good fat ghee and tallow and lard. I started eating a lot of pastured raw egg yolks in my smoothies and organ meats and things like this and bulletproof coffee, putting tons of butter or ghee in there. And every single person that saw me eating that way always said, aren't you worried about your cholesterol? Eggs are going to give you heart disease. You shouldn't eat eggs because they have so much cholesterol. The butter, like what's up with the cholesterol myth and those types of foods, which are, as you said, our ancestors subsisted on. And, and the reason we're here is because they ate those foods. So why didn't they have heart disease and high cholesterol and all that? But now we do. Right. What's the story with that? You know, obviously, I mean, uh, you know, lions and tigers in the wild, I mean, they eat meat all day long. Uh, why don't they have heart attacks? You know, clearly it is not a cholesterol story. The cholesterol myth has been propagated since the 1950s and 60s for whatever reasons. And you can go back into And I talk about that in some of the book. And there's other books that talk about those things. It's a false hypothesis. Cholesterol is one of the most nourishing foods. The cholesterol-rich foods are one of the most nourishing foods on the planet. Uh, and when I speak from the stage, you know, all over, I mean, heck, I was at the Truth About Cancer and spoke in front of 2,000 people. And uh, I said from the stage, you know, kind of a rhetorical question, if I say cholesterol, what do you immediately think of? You know, kind of shout out that answer. And people always are, oh, I think about heart attacks. I think about plaque. I think about, uh, you know, having strokes or this cheesy stuff, you know, clogging my arteries. 
Uh, and I say, well, if you think about cholesterol, why don't you think about vitamin D? Because cholesterol turns into vitamin D. Well, if I say cholesterol, why don't you think about bile salts coming from your liver into your gallbladder for your digestion? If I say cholesterol, why don't you think about precursor to testosterone? All right, all you men out there with low testosterone, cholesterol gives birth to testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Anybody out there with uh, fatigue and they're always tired, what's your cortisol? Where does cortisol come from? You know, every single cell in our body, the cell fence called the cell membrane is made of cholesterol. This sounds pretty important. So important enough that I made it chapter one in my book. So when people understand the importance of cholesterol and what it is, then they are open to everything else I have to say going forward. If I can demystify and get rid of the myths of cholesterol, then they'll be open to, to everything else. And that's, uh, that's a good thing. What's the deal with quote unquote good and bad cholesterol? Is there such a thing? So, you know, obviously that's all pharmaceutical speak. You know, the pharmaceutical companies want us to believe that there's bad and the good and you want to lower the bad with their drugs. What we do is in my office uh, is that we go for the most advanced cardiovascular testing on the planet and we look at LDLs and HDLs. LDLs have commonly been called the bad, but what we, it exists for a reason. Every animal species makes LDL for a reason, uh, and that reason is to shuttle you know, things around the body. It shuttles around fat-soluble vitamins, ADEK, shuttles around CoQ10, shuttles around phospholipids, all these different things that are so important you know, to us. And there's good and the bad amongst that. So we want these large, fluffy buses of LDLs, not the small, dense, little buses of LDLs. And we can measure that. And the good doctor should measure that and take the time to explain that to people, what the numbers are. But the typical cardiologist doesn't even really care about numbers anymore. They just want to give you, you know, statin drugs to lower, you know, all your numbers down. And even amongst the HDLs, there's good and the bads there. So we can identify all those and then start to make changes to make all that stuff better. So if cholesterol, generally speaking, is good for you and necessary as a precursor to all of these hormones and all the stuff as you described, is it possible for a vegan or vegetarian to be healthy since they're not eat, they're eating a diet devoid of animal products containing cholesterol? Well, the vegan diet, I think, is a deprivation diet. I mean, I, I love animals as much as the next person. I love my dog, and we do donate tons of money to animal rescues. And once again, we talk about eating free-range grass-fed meats and ethically raised animals. But uh, veganism, it's a starvation diet. So, of course, your cholesterol levels are going to drop. Your lipid levels are going to drop because you're not giving the body the tools it needs to make those things. And uh, history, society is, is littered with vegans that have, uh, you know, given up on that because eventually they burn out. You know, one of the things I test for in my office, Luke, is for cellular levels of omega-3. Cellular levels of omega-3, EPA, DHA, the higher the level, the lower the risk of all disease. Yet you cannot get those foods on a vegan diet. You can suck down all the flaxseed oil and walnut oil and all the different stuff. You cannot get to the levels that you need. It only comes from seafood, and seafood is the healthiest food on the planet. And I kind of kid, you know, some of my vegan friends. And uh, there's some brilliant people that are that are vegan. Uh, I don't know how long they'll stay brilliant for because they're missing all that brain food. But, uh, you know, they think that veganism is the way to go. And I ask them, you know, why, why can't a vegan eat an oyster? Like, does an oyster have any more feelings than a head of cabbage? 
you know, even from a plant standpoint, uh, you know, we, we have a garden that we plant every year and the rule of gardening is you plant, you know, five seeds inside like a little hole and then the five seeds sprout out, but then you've got to thin the herd. You've got to, you know, chop four of those sprouts. And to us, it's painful to chop four of those five sprouts because you're killing a living seed. You're killing a living being. I'm not trying to equate killing that versus killing a cow, but I will say this. If people are looking for optimal health and wellness in heart, body, mind, spirit, everything, you have to eat some meat and you certainly have to eat seafood. Okay, cool. I agree. I mean, my subjective experience is I was a vegetarian for 10 years and that shit almost killed me. I mean, I was like so, and I ate organic and everything, but I was so unhealthy because it's just, I essentially, I lived on glucose. I just lived on carbs and it was really difficult. Or I would eat like to get protein, I would eat soy and then that wrecked my hormones and I would eat like gluten or, you know, fake meats made out of like solid gluten and then that wrecked my digestive system. And I thought I was being, I thought I was being healthy, but it was such an inflammatory diet. It just, it didn't work for me. Uh, You know, if it works for other people, that's wonderful. I just last week published a show with a guy who's been a vegan for, I don't know, a long, long time, uh, Jason Robel. He got his labs done. He said he was a little low in um, testosterone naturally and he was a little low in DHA and then I think he found a vegan way to supplement those. And I don't he seems very strong and healthy and happy and it's working for him. I guess I don't know, maybe it's an individual thing. For me like there's just no way. Like I just can't get full. Like that's that's my main right. thing is like I I could eat salad all day long and some I can't eat beans or legumes like that shit makes my it wrecks my digestive system. I don't know. It just for my body, it's not happening. So so right, there you go. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I, I mean, listen, obviously we're having the debate because, you know, there are so many people that are vegan that are thriving and doing well. And uh, and that's OK. I mean, obviously, there are certain nutrients, you know, you know, B12 and the omega threes, like we said, and certain amino acids you just can't get from a vegan lifestyle and combining, you know, rice and beans. At the end of the day, it's not our, our ancestral diet. But some people, you know, listen, some people smoke until they're 80 years of age and doesn't really seem to bother them. But a lot of people, you know, clearly it does. Uh, I think as long as once again, you follow those principles of eating organically. And I think if you're a vegan who eats, you know, very clean, that you can do very well. We're built with, you know, with stores from our mother, from, you know, we stole all those nutrients from mom and and they came down from grandma. So I think we're built with some protection. Uh, I think from a multi-generational standpoint that, you know, vegan moms that give birth to vegan babies and on and on, I think that in the long term, it may, it may take generations to find it out, but uh, we're going to see those, those issues. Uh, and I, I hate to hear about a, a vegan mom breastfeeding her baby. I mean, where that you know, omega threes are brain food, and once again, you cannot get that from walnut oil. We've been eating from the sea forever. Don't try and reinvent the dietary wheel. It's not going to happen. Well, it's it's funny you mention that because if a vegan mother is breastfeeding her her baby, then by default the baby is actually not vegan. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. If you breastfeed, you just broke the chain. But it, it is interesting that it's actually an experiment that mankind is undertaking now because there there actually hasn't been a generation anywhere in the world of vegans. So we haven't seen like two vegans have babies that are both vegans and they go off and have babies with other vegans, et cetera, et cetera. And so you have a downline of four, four or five generations to see what actually happens. So it actually is kind of a biological experiment just to see what even happens to us evolutionarily speaking, is it not? 
Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, and I've said this many times before, you know, doctors who recommend a vegan diet uh, to their patients are experimenting. They're experimenting on their patients. And I don't think that's, that's appropriate. Uh, uh, it's just, um, it's just not, you know, the right way to go. Uh, we, we clearly can do better. Uh, and for, you know, and, and we've said that before, you know, about breast milk, exactly, where breast milk uh, is low, you know, oh, I thought saturated fat's bad. Well, then why is breast milk loaded with it, you know? This cholesterol's bad. Why is breast milk loaded with cholesterol? I mean, this is how a baby's brain forms. And don't tell me when they're done nursing at the age three and four, oh, okay, well, now we're good. We don't need any more sat fat. We don't need any more cholesterol. Wow, that's just such, such bad advice. Oh, it, it bothers me. I read an article the other day online about uh, a family. I don't know if they were taken to jail or just fined, but they got in really big trouble in Germany for raising their kids vegan and their kids started having all these developmental brain problems, neurological problems as a result of being deprived from some of those nutrients. So it's interesting. Anyway, I don't want to get too off the deep end because I know this is, it's a, it's a really yeah. touchy subject for people because a lot of people, their personal like egoic identity is so wrapped up in what goes on their plate. And it's, it's just sort of a weird, you know, human, uh, you know, mental phenomenon yeah. and this attachment people have to being identified as this type of eater or that type of eater. I'm approaching it really just from like, what are the facts and what's going to make people feel the best, not some dogmatic point of view on whether it's right or wrong. But I appreciate as a doctor, like getting, you know, your input on that. And then you touched on saturated fats. What fats or oils should we be avoiding in our diet? I think a lot of people are unaware that things like canola oil are absolutely poison and they're in almost everything you find in a store like Whole Foods. What are some of the really nasty things we want to look out for? Well, you know, I've certainly over time, I've become someone who's not really into a lot of oils, you know, per se. We cook with a lot of animal fats. I've often said I'm the only cardiologist in the world that actually sells animal fat out of his office. I've got the beef tallow and the duck fat from a, a company called Fatworks, uh, which is all ethically raised, phenomenal stuff. I, you know, we cook with coconut oil. We do use a little bit of ghee. We use a little bit of a butter. Uh, and of course, this is all top of the line. We never cook with uh, with olive oil or grapeseed oil. Sometimes we'll use those for toppings or avocado oil, but we tend to stay away from uh, cooking with those. Uh, and then like you mentioned, certainly uh, canola, safflower, sunflower. I mean, look at all the damage that Florence Henderson did with her, you know, Wesson corn oil, you know, message and the soybean oils that they promoted, right? They vilified coconut oil so they can use that cheap, poison from my home state of Illinois, that all that soybean oil that uh, just caused and inflicted so much damage on so many people over the years, uh, really a problem. So, uh, so those are the oils, you know, once again, like I said, we don't really use too much oil in our cooking. We'll use some raw and, you know, the best of the best. Another one of my favorite oils too, that I think is super medicinal is black cumin seed oil. My good friend, uh, Dr. Fit, who's a medical doctor down in Amarillo, Texas, who would make a super guest on your podcast too. You'd love him, Dr. Fitt, F-I-T-T. -T. He's a big fan of the black cumin seed oil. And he says, you know, just it's all true. I mean, you know, the Egyptians have been using black cumin seed for 5,000 years. You can get that medicinal oil. You can also get the black cumin seeds, put that into the coffee grinder. I wouldn't drink it as coffee, but I love to add it to my eggs or meatballs or even just salad dressing. And it's just super, super healing, extremely antifungal, antibacterial. The literature on it is tremendous. And then now I'm going on the stream of consciousness. Let me go back to this you know, story you mentioned in Germany. I'm someone who want, and I know you are too, the government to stay out of our business because 
I am very anti-vaccine. I've been on CNN about the uh, anti-vaccine message. Not that I'm anti-anything. I'm pro-natural immunity and pro-not injecting my children with chemicals to prevent the chicken pox. But, you know, so the thought of the government getting involved, as much as I agree with that being wrong, and I would agree with you, that is child abuse, but who am I to set the laws on what's child abuse or not, you know, for, you know, for a vegan baby and a vegan lifestyle? Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know where I, I'm sure, you know, it's, it, that's, that, that is probably the toughest thing I would face. Cause yeah, I want society to go by all of my rules, but don't try and put your rules on me. Right, right. Yeah. That's like, if you're feeding your kid, you know, ghee and the government comes in and says, oh, that's too high in saturated fat. We're going to fine you. Yeah. yeah. It is a slippery slope. And I, and I agree. I'm, I'm all for personal liberty. And I guess parenting is an area where it's really vague because it's like if a parent is misinformed, they could really do harm to their child. But then again, like that's their child, not the state's, right? So that's an interesting point of view. I didn't even think about that because I'm I'm also like this super anti New World Order. You know, like I'm not into being having my personal life controlled by the government at all. Um, but anyway, so okay, so takeaway there is we're avoiding all seed oils, and I think I think something that's this, this stuff is so sneaky. And that's why I like to alert the listeners because you'll go in Whole Foods and you'll see something you want to buy, a packaged food, let's just say, which you should just avoid packaged food anyway, just make food fresh from the farmer's market, but it'll say vegetable oil. And I remember seeing in my life like, oh, it's vegetable oil. That's got to be good for you. And what they're talking about is canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, these rancid, disgusting inflammatory omega-6 uh, oils. And I don't think people realize how much that's actually in food and how bad for you they are. And thankfully, there's a few places. There's a restaurant I go to called Who Kitchen, H-U, Hugh Kitchen, or Who Kitchen in New York City. And right on the front of it, I was walking by one, and I was like, yes, this is the spot. It's a paleo restaurant. Right in the front, it says, like, no seed oils, no canola oil. Yeah, it's like they only use tallow. They wow. only use ghee. I mean, it's like people are starting to wake up. But, man, you pretty much go to any restaurant, and you're going to be eating oxidized, rancid, inflammatory oils because that's what most people used to cook with because it's cheap. And even the olive oils, all that stuff that sits out there. I mean, you've been to a million Italian restaurants, you know, as I have over the years. And you've got, uh, you know, the bottle that's just like sitting on a table. It's this this clear bottle. Uh, maybe that's got some oil in there that could be, you know, two months, three months, six months old. That's just been getting totally oxidized and rancid. And that obviously turns into oxidized LDLs, which are taken up by the immune system and targeted for destruction. And they're taken up into the coronary arteries so that is a you know a major problem. I'm glad you mentioned that because Heather and I are speaking in two weeks in New York City. So that is good to know. We're going to go check that place out, man. Thank you. Awesome. Amazing place. Really great, great place. Okay, so on to the next one I want to ask. You mentioned um, Sunshine before, and I did an episode way back in the beginning uh, last year with uh, Nadine Artemis all about sun exposure and how we've been misled to believe the sun hurts you and it's this evil thing to be avoided. And I noticed in your book that you recommend getting not only sun on a regular basis, but full body sun to the point of not getting burned, obviously. So what's your take on the sun and is it actually good or bad for us? Yeah, no, listen, uh, our ancestors, and I tell this to patients 10 times a day, so it rolls off the tongue pretty easy. Our ancestors went to sleep with the sundown, awoke with the sunrise, and then they spent the entire day in the sun and they were naked. I don't make the rules. That's just mother nature. That's just how it's been. 
And I want people to embrace that idea that sunshine is good, to take off the sunglasses and get sunshine. Don't listen to the dummies on television. Don't listen to your doctor who has no idea what they're talking about because they've never studied it. They've never opened up their eyes to reality. Uh, we want sunshine. We don't want to get burned. Sunburn is bad. Sunshine and suntan is good. I wrote a post for uh, the truth about cancer and it was about 17 different cancers that are reduced when you get the most amount of sunshine. So from a cardiovascular standpoint, the more sunshine you get, the lower your risk of dying from heart disease. That's a good thing. From a cardiology standpoint, the more sunshine you get, the lower your cholesterol. Now, I started off we were talking about the importance of cholesterol and what i'm all about is what's finding the you know finding the caveman cholesterol finding that perfect paleo cholesterol because you luke your numbers are you know your perfect numbers are different than mine than you know the guy next door or the you know person who delivers the mail i mean whatever everybody's different so we have to find our perfect numbers and the sun helps us achieve that because at the final step before you make cholesterol you make vitamin d and that molecule before that is called 7-dehydroxy cholesterol. If the sun hits it, it turns into vitamin D. If the sun does not hit it, it turns into cholesterol. So if you have excess cholesterol, get sunshine and make more vitamin D and your cholesterol will go down. So th there's, there's tons of science, you know, obviously, I mean, behind it. Common sense, once again, at the end of the day, our ancestors were in the sun. Please embrace it. Don't get sunburned. If you're going to use sunscreen, use a you know, you know, natural, organic sunscreen, all that kind of stuff. But I talk about the book, you know, be careful on the weekends because you can peer over our fence and we'll be running around naked. And if you want to see the Wolfsons naked, uh, then go ahead and peer over our fence. Uh, but uh, just let the buyer beware on that one. Speaking of naked sun time, can you talk about the connection between sun on the testicles and testosterone? Um, just, so just so people don't think I'm crazy. It's totally true. And why wouldn't it be true? I mean, the energy from the sun just goes right into the body and works its magic. We are such beings of nature and our ancestors ran around and they were running around naked and the sun hits the scrotum, the energy, all of the you know visible light and the UVAs and UVBs you know, are just all connected into the testes and make all those mitochondria fire. And when they're firing, they're doing the job. And when they do the job, they're making testosterone, hitting the skin above the ovaries. I mean, the energy is coming in there so the women can make testosterone and estrogen and progesterone. And just to tell this to people and you see their eyes open, like, wow, you know, why are so many people testosterone deficient? And Luke, you know they are. I mean, they talk to you, they come see me. I see low testosterone all over the place. And it's not because they're missing bioidentical hormones. There's a reason for it. And the holistic doctor has to find that reason. And if we exhaust everything, then you can go to testosterone therapy. But to get off on another segue, I've seen so many men come in on hormone replacement and they've had a heart attack, they've had a stroke, they have high blood pressure. It didn't do what they thought it was going to do. They didn't get the libido back they had when they were 18. 
because we never addressed cause. And it may be a more natural Band-Aid to use uh, testosterone creams and stuff like that, but it's still a Band-Aid, man. It's not going after the problem. And wouldn't you love just to try and get some sun, uh, you know, where it used to not shine? Get it there. Get it that's, there. Get that's it there. great. I appreciate yeah. the backup because I, you know, I research all this stuff and I find articles and I try things out. And sometimes because I'm not a doctor and I'm not scientific about things, I'll, I'll mention to a friend like, hey, you know, you should really be getting sun on your nads, you know, <laughs> I think I'm just messing with them or having an excuse to run around naked in somebody's backyard. But I got to say, just from doing the past, probably, I don't know, four or five years, as much naked sun exposure as possible. And it is like, without a doubt, improved my health. I mean, I don't know about my labs. I haven't done before or after going out in the sun, but actually I live in an apartment right now and I have a tiny little balcony. And I just figured out recently that if I sort of sit down in a chair out there with some shorts on, cause it's not very high. It only goes up a little, if I'm standing, I definitely couldn't do it. But if I sit down and then pull my shorts off, I can like go bottomless in the sun for, I can get a couple hours out there in the morning without any of the neighbors being offended or getting myself arrested for indecent exposure. I was really thankful to find that, but I just want to encourage people like man or woman, man, just think, like you said, think about nature, how we've evolved. Did we evolve to wear like underwear 24 seven? I mean, a lot of people don't even get naked when they fucking sleep. You know, it's like, I don't, it's just bizarre. So thank you for that uh, re reaffirmation. And then you talked about seafood and how critical that is to a healthy diet. What's the deal with farm-raised seafood versus wild? And why would we want to know the difference and avoid the farms? What's kind of scary, Luke, is that it may be 20 years from now, that's all there is, is farm-raised seafood, the way this planet's going. So soak up all that wild seafood while you can. Uh, It's just, it's higher in omegas. It's higher in so many different nutrients than you know fish in a fish tank and they're feeding those fish in the fish tank garbage they're feeding them soy and corn if they're inside of a fish tank or some kind of confines they have to be feeding them therefore they're not getting their native diet and it's going to lead to an unhealthy fish but yeah i mean you know seafood oysters uh, clams i mean sometimes you can find responsibly farmed responsibly raised and, and, I'm, and I'm okay with that because once again, I think that is just kind of the future, but we try and go wild whenever possible. I do test people's heavy metals and unfortunately the big fish, uh, tuna, swordfish, shark, big halibuts, big sea bass, uh, you can't eat that stuff because it's just too loaded with metals. And if you have poor detoxification pathways, you're going to run into trouble. Uh, and that's opportunities to really crank up, you know, your glutathione, whether it's through supplements or by eating, uh, you know, the foods that crank up glutathione, which are all animal-based foods, which crank up uh, glutathione. You want to get, you know, plenty of selenium, which is, which is in, you know, Brazil nuts and also in oysters. And that's why oysters is one of my favorite foods. And our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz, he's always talking about oysters and and that's why I get upset because why can't a vegan eat an oyster? At least feed, feed it to your kids or if you got texture issues, I don't know, like throw it in a blender. I love, I tell people, throw the anchovies in the blender, make your own salad dressing. That way nobody knows what's really in there. It doesn't taste like fish. You're throwing a lot of lemon or apple cider vinegar, uh, throwing all those different spices and people do well. And let me just mention one more thing about getting sun on your nuts that there's not going to be a study, right? There's not going to be a study that's ever done. Well, we took, you know, 100 guys and we had them sun their, you know, the family jewels and the other, you know, 100 didn't. And the ones that did had higher testosterone for all the studies out there. It just makes sense, right? Our ancestors just did it 
for millions of years. And when you think about, once again, the energy and the electromagnetic good radiation coming from the sun where it's supposed to be going, you know, and on top of that, there's vitamin D receptors everywhere in the body, from your testes to your eyeballs to your adrenals, there's vitamin D receptors everywhere. You only make vitamin D from getting sunshine or eating animal products. Done. I mean, like, end of story. So embrace that sunshine, embrace the wild seafood, embrace those oysters. I actually learned that from Jack Cruz, too. He told me that about the oysters. He said that the number one most nutritionally dense food on the planet, literally hands down, no matter what, is oysters. And second would be pasture-raised or grass-fed beef liver or, you know, a large animal liver. Like, just... Nutrient density wise, that's as good as it gets. So I, after that recommendation, I started actually eating tons of oysters and I, and I love them. And then I kind of followed the same rule of thumb too: wild seafood and the smaller the fish, the better, because if you just think about common sense, like how long is a sardine alive and how, how many toxins can it bioaccumulate? And it's, I don't know how long they live, like a year or something. I really don't know. But if you imagine like a, a goddamn swordfish or an ahi tuna, like they got to live a long time. I mean, I don't know, maybe they live 20 years or something you know floating around out there and they're eating all the smaller fish that are bioaccumulating toxins and then the smaller fish that they ate and so on and it's like it's just nasty so i i'm with you on that another paleo question so in the classical paleo diet we're not eating legumes we're not eating beans and things like that and i think a lot of people still think peanuts are healthy why would you recommend not eating peanuts so peanuts are, are a bean. They're not actually a nut. They're not a tree nut. They, they are in the bean category, and that is, you know, the, the peanut is a bean pod. They tend to be very high in aflatoxin, which is a mold and can cause different uh, allergic reactions. So many people are allergic to peanuts, and that's frankly because they, you know, put peanut oil inside the vaccines. That's another story. Uh, but if you're going to eat peanuts, once again, it has to be organic. I don't think it's the worst food in the world. Peanuts, typically, they're not eaten in the raw. You know, it's not like eating raw almonds or walnuts. You know, they're typically always roasted. And it's just not a food that our ancestor would have consumed that often. So I am about, you know, obviously, you know, paleo is, and, and you know, kind of like there's so many different, you know, definitions of paleo. And like we said in the beginning, if you're eating dairy, make it raw from a pasture-raised animal. If you're eating the grains, make sure that they're organic, uh, and preferably, you know, sprouted and soaked and all those things that so many people talk about. Just kind of up your game on all of that and go from there. And so in terms of the peanuts and just eating nuts in general, you recommend in your book soaking them and eating them raw. So isn't it dangerous and inflammatory to actually cook seeds and nuts? Well, it certainly can be. And once again, I don't think it's the, it's the worst thing in the world. But yeah, that soaking and sprouting process helps to break down some of those anti-nutrients because the seed and the nut, they are there to procreate. They're there to make more seeds and nuts. They're there to make more trees and bushes and things like that. So 
they, they are there to protect themselves. They don't want any other critters eating it. So the critters know, hey, let's stay away from that. So in order for that to make it digestible for us, our ancestors, you know, for many thousands of years already have found out that they're a lot easier on the body, more digestible by the body to absorb those nutrients if you soak them first. So you take your nuts, you take uh, specifically nuts, you put them in a bowl of quality water, let it sit, you know, in the refrigerator overnight and then drain that water and then go ahead and enjoy. Uh, from there, you can let them germinate and actually sprout uh, something out or you can put them in a the dehydrator or make them kind of crunchy and crisp again. And now you've destroyed, you know, the phytates, phytic acid, some of those anti-nutrients that are in there and that really goes for wheat and the other grains as well because those are harvested all from seed and if you let those germinate it helps to break down a lot of those things that's where you get into things like ezekiel bread and things that are a lot more tolerable but i would encourage people once again to read those labels on those bread bags because there's all additional uh, oils that are added to those. So that means somebody you know, baked that bread some time ago and those oils are now oxidized and they're rancid. Bread historically was made without oil. So if you're gonna be eating those bread, there are things like you know, mana bread or maybe even your local baker around the corner that's making fresh sourdough or go find a million recipes online. And what's the deal with gluten? Is it really bad for everyone or only people that have a sensitivity to it? Clearly, the literature is there that if you do have celiac disease, you're at higher risk of everything from brain to heart to cancer. If you have not what is de uh, determined as non-celiac gluten sensitivity, uh, NCGS, you are also at increased risk of cardiovascular and brain disease. Now, when I first met my wife in 2004, she tells me about this diagnosis called leaky gut. Uh, now, Luke's story probably heard about leaky gut, but Jack Wolfson, cardiologist, never did in 2004 because they never mentioned it in medical school. So my wife says something about it. I'm like, where'd you get this bogus diagnosis from? You know, I went to four years of medical school, three of internal medicine, three of cardiology, two years on the practice. You know, no one's ever talked about leaky gut. And she said, well, that's your problem. Go read about it. So I go read about it, but there's not really much to read. And I talked to some natural holistic people and, you know, they talk about it. And in theory, it sounds interesting. Well, over the last 10 years, Luke, as you know, the literature has exploded on the concept of leaky gut, also known more, maybe more professionally as intestinal hyperpermeability syndrome. Well, now over the last few years, you can test for it. I've got that on my shop page where we actually do a test called the Wheat Zoomer, and I do it on my patients and we do it on people from all over the country where we test for leaky gut. We look at zonulin, anti-zonulin, we look at anti-actin, anti-lipopolysaccharides, and then we look for over 60, 70 different antibodies to wheat, gluten, uh, glutenin, gliadin, the non-gluten components of wheat, all these different things. And Luke, over 50% of the people light up as an immune response to gluten, gliadin, and they have leaky gut, which is just mind-blowing information. Now, maybe... My data is a little bit skewed because I have a lot of my patients are cardiac. So just by definition, maybe because they're coming to see me, they already have these problems and now they're more likely to have these issues. But even when I talk to other doctors, they're testing people. Let's say a third of the population is sensitive to gluten or they will become sensitive down the road. We can test for it. The patients deserve to know that information. So it's real. It is a real, real phenomenon. And you know, you kind of smiled there. I saw that when I talked about zonulin and you've heard people talk about these. Can you imagine how it is for a cardiologist 
to see that someone has a leaky gut, that someone has antibodies to actin. Actin, is, actin and myosin are two of those proteins that make muscles contract and relax. That is the filament structure inside of muscle cells, inside of smooth muscle cells in the gut. So now the body is attacking the actin molecule in the gut. Well, wouldn't you know that actin also resides inside of the coronary arteries and inside of the heart muscle itself? So here wow. is the, the smoking gun. We've got the leaky gut. Things get into the body that don't belong. The body creates an immune response against it, and then it attacks the coronary arteries. How many cardiologists know that? Nobody. None of them do. Wow. And, it's, and now, you, instead of going after the statin approach, you march it backwards and you say, what is causing that actin to happen? But uh, you can tell, obviously, I get so excited to talk about it because they never mentioned it once. And uh, Luke's story knew about it in 2002, and, and the cardiologists still don't. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of goes back to what we we're talking about in the beginning when you do your own research and you really I mean, thank God for the Internet. I mean, that's like why this is all possible. But when you do your own research and then you go in with these type of questions for, you know, a quote unquote expert and they're like, uh, der, yeah. what? <laughs> They've never heard of that. You know, so that's what's great about putting this stuff out. So good information there, because I think a lot of people, they sort of make fun of the gluten-free sort of movement because it, it becomes a trend and an ism and then everyone gets sick of hearing about it. And they're like, oh God, you another one of those gluten-free people? It doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt you. And there's, there's a lot of pushback against it. But I'm def I'm not celiac, yeah. but if I, if I eat gluten, which I do sometimes, just like a, a really great gourmet pizza, I'm going to feel it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has a negative effect on my whole body, but sometimes I'm willing to take the hit, uh, less so as time goes on. Uh, what's the deal with corn and soy products and why might we want to avoid them? Well, those are just, once again, they have, you know, obviously corn, if it's, if it's uh, not organic, it's genetically modified. It's loaded with glyphosate, which is uh, Roundup. The corn itself produces a toxin, which by definition causes leaky gut. I mean, that's how it kills insects by damaging their gut and it does the same thing to us. Soy, same thing, genetically modified, heavily sprayed. Even if you're doing organic varieties, uh, it's not paleo food, it's not our ancestral food. A lot of people have sensitivities to both of those. Certainly soy should be prepared the right way. If it's fermented soy, I mean, listen, I'd be a fool to argue with fermented soy because the Japanese do it, the Chinese do it, and those people that are, uh, you know, that are eating the fermented soy products seem to do very well. Natural blood thinner, uh, natto, natto kinase, you know, which is a little Pac-Man that eats up clots inside of vessels. And if you doubt that theory about natto kinase, the original drug we used to use, not we used to use, I was in high school, but in the mid-1980s, they used a clot buster called streptokinase. Someone comes in with a heart attack, they didn't go angioplasty and stents, they injected them with the clot buster, nat, uh, uh, streptokinase. Well, we use oral natto kinase that comes from fermented soy. So when it goes, whether it's soy or corn, so many people have sensitivities to those. Same thing with gluten. But over the years, I've been a little more interested now in seeing almost like why, you know, is, is some people definitely the gluten, that small protein just causes damage itself. But once again, maybe there are other things that are leading to the leaky gut. 
but that big molecule gluten is getting through and now you create that immune response to it and, and other things. Uh, so there are people that have leaky gut, but they're not eating gluten and we've checked every, every source. So clearly, you know, leaky gut can come from a lot of things. It can come from that, you know, Roundup corn, uh, that BT corn. It can come from air pollution. It can come from alcohol. Uh, it can come from stress. So a lot of things may be leading to leaky gut. It's not just gluten, but clearly in my practice, so many people do feel better when they avoid all that heavy grain load. Awesome. Really good information. Yeah, that's funny because I've been, you know, doing very little gluten for the past couple of years and I'm about to take the leaky gut test through my functional medicine uh, clinic called Parsley Health. It's actually on my dining room table right now, but I'm going to do a video about it. So I've been putting it off, but I feel like I have leaky gut. Even if I avoid gluten, it's from something else because I can just, I don't know, I can just feel it. There's inflammation there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting to the root of that myself. And I like how you describe that as being a cascade. It's not like gluten is the main culprit and that gives you leaky gut and that's the whole problem. It's just a piece of the puzzle, perhaps. Yeah, it, yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, obviously so many people, they have a sluggish liver, a sluggish gallbladder, and that messes up everything. So it kind of goes back to all these different toxins of why your liver is not working, your gallbladder is not working, uh, and then you're not um, making enough stomach acid because of the liver gallbladder issues. And if you're not making stomach acid and the liver gallbladder is not working, you can't digest anything. And all of that big protein hits the small intestine and boom, you have damage and things come into the body that don't belong and the you know immune system comes in but once again from a cardiology standpoint so exciting to be able to you know see this and do something about it and if you're going to eat gluten once again as we've said 10 times already just eat the quality good stuff and i know what you're saying about that about that pizza and i'm a chicago deep dish you know kind of guy <laughs> yeah 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 um but well uh, you know this yeah. might be bordering on an eating disorder and I'm, I, I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this, but when I do have like a relapse on something like that, or I just, I don't know, I'll drive a, like the cronut spot at one in the morning and I just, something compels me to go in there and eat five of them every once in a while. What I'll do is I'll like pound a bunch of digestive enzymes, some HCL and some activated coconut charcoal. And I just like absorb and, and even like bentonite clay. And I'll just kind of like get rid of, you know, whatever it was that I just ate. Like I said, there's, it's probably some kind of disorder. It's like borderline bulimia. Like I don't make myself throw up, but I right. take a bunch of shit to like help, help minimize the damage of whatever it was that I just quote unquote cheated with. Well, I think that is obviously the, the healthiest approach if you're going to do it. But let me kind of rain on the parade one more time. Uh, <laughs> okay, please do. Is that, uh, you know, you work hard. Um, I work hard. I make a living. I don't, I would never spend my money anymore on that stuff. I don't even know what a cronut is, but I know what, you yeah. know, but I mean, but let's just take, uh, you know, oh, once in a while I have a craving for, I don't know, uh, a Dunkin' Donuts or for, you know, Krispy Kreme or something, you know, I, you know in, in theory yeah. you can say that, but it's just like, I would never allow myself to do it anymore because I don't want to support the bad guys. You know, I happen to enjoy organic coffee. My father was a coffee drinker back in Chicago, cold mornings. I'll go on kicks where I avoid coffee for a while, then I'm back to coffee. But even on my darkest days, man, I would never drive into a Starbucks or I'm in the airport and there's nothing here except for some shitty coffee. Uh, I can't do it. I can't live with myself. So yeah. I'm not trying to insult you, Luke. You no, see, no, you're, no, you're, you're man. a really good dude. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, and I, I want people to really 
come to this level because I never would support a tortured animal product. So I can't eat deep dish pizza from my favorite place in Chicago because the cheese is poison. It came from a tortured animal and I'm just not eating it, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you, dude. It's just, you know, on the show, people like accuse me of being such a rigid health nut. So I always like to kind of show, you know, show my uh, my frailty and my humanity and say every once in a while, I'll pound a bag of M&Ms and then I try to not beat myself up for it. I know it's toxic, but it's just like, you know what? Every once in a while, shit happens. So thank you for both perspectives on that. But you're at, uh, but you, but listen, you're near a Whole Foods, you're near a natural grocers or a Sprouts or whatever. Just get organic M&Ms, man. Whatever. I and mean, that's totally. the beauty of, of, of things today is that whatever your vice is, They've got it for you. They've got, if you're like, hey, listen, man, I was just listening to, you know, to Luke and Jack and uh, I'm dying for, you know, for a pint of ice cream. Fine. Go to, uh, you know, your nearest natural grocer and get Strauss's free range grass fed ice cream. Just don't go to the gas station and get like, uh, you know, a Dairy Queen like Dilly Bar or something like that. We just, we can't <laughs> right. do that. And you know what? Right. Listen, people, people pay me for the truth. They pay me for the information. They don't pay me to sugarcoat things. You know, Luke's story is not interviewing me for me to say, yeah, it's okay to, you know, break down once in a while. It's okay. And then pat yourself on the back and meditate and say, you know what, Luke, you're still a good boy. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's okay <laughs> that you did that. Let's just do better next time. No, I personally can't fall to that. And um, if I did anyways, my wife would have my nuts and a vice. So um, I don't go down that road. Noted. Jack, I also wanted to ask you if you had any recommendations in terms of sleep. I know this is something that you cover in the book. You give a fantastic list of supplements. It'd probably take us hours to cover the supplements. But you know, what can you say about your sleep environment, the proper bedding, these kind of things? Well, certainly when it comes to sleep, you know, where you spend eight, preferably eight to 10 hours of your life, you know, should be, you know, in that bedroom, you know, on a daily basis, you want to keep that place as chemical free and EMF free and all the electronics and get all that stuff out of the bedroom. The bedroom should be, uh, you know, for two things, uh, making love and sleeping. And the mattress we sleep on, it just kills me that so many people sleep on these memory foam mattresses that are just off-gassing toxins into their body, and plus they're on the sheets that are loaded with fabric softener uh, you know, and other things. You know, So when people wonder why they're sick, look no further than that. And we've got two different types of mattresses in our house. One is just an organic natural latex rubber. Uh, and we do have the Semina sleep system that I know you've talked about before. Oh, uh, and man. Yeah, You're it's, so, um, um, you just yeah. hit like I just got a pang of envy run through my veins because I'm I'm working my way up. I'm not quite there yet. Well, uh, you know, we do sell them out of the office, and that was our first uh, interaction with it. But we sell what we believe in, and we sell what works. And uh, the fact that it's got all of the quality constituents and none of the chemicals in there, and it's got the grounding pad built in, and there's even a cover, you know, a comforter that's. Uh, impregnated with silver to you know block all the EMF exposure and we've had this third party tested where someone comes out with a gauss meter and you can see the difference uh, of what the system is doing so it's very exciting but you know let's just use this as an opportunity just to say clean out the bedroom of all the poisons and toxins and EMFs and all those things 
Awesome, man. Cool. Thanks for the recommendation. Huge fan of Samina. Before we got on the call, you're looking back at my sauna. <laughs> and I was telling you, uh, you guys listening, I was telling Jack that, uh, you know, I do a lot of um, ice baths and cryotherapy and do the sauna and stuff. And you were saying like, you're on board with all of this. But since you're from Chicago, you're not down with like jumping in Lake Michigan anytime soon, huh? Uh, and you know, Luke, I used to actually, I used to do triathlons in uh, Chicago and I used to swim in that uh, <laughs> dump called Lake Michigan, uh, which is actually better than what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But uh, nonetheless, uh, cold water, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of jumping in cold. I understand all the theory behind it. And for the people that do, hey, great, I'm not here to rain on your parade. But for those of you that just don't like that part, you're like me. But I will say this is that I have used some limited cold exposure on patients with uh, things like atrial fibrillation, uh, irregular heart rhythms, or people with hypertension to really crank up that parasympathetic tone and lower sympathetic tone and to get that more in balance. And once again, that's why I think chiropractic is so valuable to get that balance on the autonomic nervous system because imbalance there is absolutely destructive. Uh, and I love sauna. I love the idea. That's why I live in Arizona, man. And for six months out of the year, it's an absolute sweat box, total detoxifier while it, well, I'll leave it at that. All right. We're getting close to wrapping it up. There's a couple more questions I wanted to cover. So you talked about the importance of eating organic while we're on the topic. And to me, this is a no brainer because why would you ever eat food that's literally been sprayed with poison? And I always have a beef with the fact that organic food has this special distinction. And then there's the other type of food that we call conventional, which is food that's been literally sprayed with poison. <laughs> so yeah. it's like actually conventional food is the organic food. And then we should just call poison sprayed food, poison food instead of conventional. So I'm living in a paradigm where it's just totally not normal. But in the, in terms of foods that are not organic, what are some of the most highly pesticide-laden foods there are? I know coffee's a really bad one. What are some others yeah. that, if you're going to like eat something that's not organic, what should we avoid? I've heard potatoes are also full of pesticides. If they're not organic, you don't want to eat those. Anything else you might give us in terms of the worst well, foods ever? Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously you never know what the individual farmer is doing. That's why it's kind of hard to make a blanket statement or people say, well, you know, if you eat avocados, they've got a thick skin, but yeah, but the print, but the plant was sprayed. It's in the soil. It comes up, you know, from, how does an avocado made? It comes, you know, draws up water and all those toxins uh, from the soil. Same thing with a banana or anything else with thick skin. Clearly, you know, berries and things like that, you know, right? We've all been to restaurants and you know, you're trying to eat healthy and, you know, for dessert, oh, I'll have a side of berries. And like you said, that's pesticide produce. That's poison produce. I'm not an alternative cardiologist. I'm a cardiologist. And the other guys, you know, they're not conventional. Those guys are just using a garbage uh, paradigm uh, with pills and procedures. And if you're in the midst of a heart attack, a cardiologist is a great person to be friends with. If you're looking for prevention, medical doctors have nothing, nothing at all. They've got nothing for prevention, uh, which is sad. It's sad that you go to school for all those years and be able to offer your patients nothing. But, uh, you know, so we stick with totally organic. We don't break the rules. Now, that being said, Luke, if I'm at a farmer's market and I'm talking to the farmer and he's like, well, my stuff's not certified organic. And but I say, okay, fine. What do you use for pest control? Well, we have ladybugs 
and we release, you know, salamanders and lizards. And you know what, man? My family and my workers, they go around, they pick stuff by hand. We don't have that problem. You know, we don't have massive fields. We've got small and we do, you know, a variety of different crops, you know, so that naturally keeps bug, you know, production down. And we use a, you know, natural fertilizer. I'm cool with that. I'm cool when I talk to the farmer and they tell me, so it doesn't have to be certified organic. But if I know that it's a quality product, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and eat it. And we have some great farmer's markets now that popped up out here in, in Arizona. The goal of any Arizonan is to go to California for the summertime. So we love coming out by you guys and Santa Monica, that Creation Cafe. Uh, you ever been to for that sure. place? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that place is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and when we travel, we, we patronize places like that. So when you mention a place like Who Kitchen that's doing it right in New York, I mean, you know, before we, we travel, I scope out everything that's there because if I get off that plane and if I don't have food ready for my wife, she's going to kill me uh, and the kids will kill each other and then kill me. So uh, we got to be prepared when we travel. Jack, what are nightshades and why should we avoid them? Uh, nightshades are, you know, the, the vegetables that tend to grow best at night. And that's going to be some of the things, uh, you know, like your peppers and your eggplants and your zucchinis. Some people tolerate them. Some people don't. I mentioned that basically saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, if you have health issues and you're trying to find what those health issues are, look at the nightshades and, and see if that is affecting you. A lot of people, it doesn't. It probably, if it is an issue for you, it's it's a sign of poor digestion, poor liver gallbladder, poor, poor stomach acid production. Go ahead and clean up your leaky gut, and it should be tolerable uh, to you. But uh, I pointed out there because, yeah, there's many people I've seen over the years that they're eating, you know, perfect, and they're doing so well, yet still don't feel right. And then we take away some of those nightshade things. Like, yeah, I love bell peppers. I love... Uh, I love eggplant and um, tomatoes, and we take out some of those, and they feel much better. So, Awesome, man. Thank you. And something else you mentioned in your book that I thought was interesting is talking about how important it is to avoid dry cleaning. What's up with dry cleaning solvents? Well, you know, all those things, uh, you know, I, I point to my father, you know, frankly, my father, you know, my mom would take all of his stuff to the dry cleaner and always picking up stuff at the dry cleaner. That stuff is, is you know, historically it was uh, perk which is an inorganic compound, which is detrimental, causes cancer, causes heart disease, causes inflammation, no doubt causes leaky gut, all those kind of things. And now you have all these organic cleaners that are out there. Well, gasoline is organic, right? It comes from carbon, it's carbon-based. So if you spray your clothes with gasoline, that's an organic cleaner. Uh, you know, <laughs> listen, if you're getting married and you got your tuxedo or you got some big event, okay, man, I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know take your $2,000 suit and go ahead and iron it yourself and throw it in your laundry. I'm just saying, don't dry clean everything. Um, you know, do laundry with natural laundry detergents, you know, like Dr. Bronner's South Suds and Seventh Generation. There's so many different products that are out there now. Throw out the fabric softener, dryer sheets now. They're poisoning the earth. They're poisoning me. I go hiking all the time with my with my boys and my wife and someone comes running by and they smell like downy fabric softener and it just it kills the moment, you know. There's enough pollution in LA. There's enough pollution in Phoenix. We don't have to add to it. Yeah, and the same goes for the personal care products and makeup and shampoos and lotions and all that stuff. Deodorant, right? I mean, I, I'm still shocked when I go in someone's house and I see their cleaning products. They still have all this bleach and ammonia and all these toxic chemicals and the laundry soap and the dish soap. And then you walk in the bathroom and see the toothpaste still is crest with fluoride. And I'm like, dude, where? 
<laughs> you guys, we got to like, we got to wake up. It's all the things in our inner environment and the stuff we put on our body. It's the dry cleaning piece, like I, I, piece I've heard, but I sort of forgot about it. But I just want to give a shout out to that. And just yeah. as an overall thing, like how important it is to avoid toxins in our home and not to be crazy and controlling, but... What's happened for me has just become automatic. I just I would never think to buy the downy fabric softeners. It's like disgusting to me to smell those too. I mean, I'll be at someone's house and they're doing laundry and I'm like, oh my God, it smells like a goddamn gas chamber in here. Like it's just so toxic. And I think maybe you had the same experience that once you start living in a toxin-free environment, that stuff becomes so noticeably nasty when you know you grew up with it you thought it smelled good when mom was doing the laundry and now it's like oh my god i'm in a gas chamber get me out of here well think about that too you go back to the children and and how you raise children i mean uh you know incidents of sids sudden infant death syndrome and allergies and asthma and childhood cancers these things are exploding attention deficit autism is it any surprise when from the moment they come out of the womb they're swaddled you know in fabric softener and dryer sheets and they're breathing in this poison on their crib mattress the poison in there yeah i mean listen people can call us freaks all they want but you know we're here to give people answers you know what you do with the answers uh you know ladies and gents that's up to you uh but if you want to get healthy this is the way to do it uh and it's really simple the world's making it a lot easier in some ways in some ways it's still very difficult to to stay healthy because there's so much pollutant and poison out there but the same person right you're at their house luke and you're you know you're checking out their you know toothpaste and all the things that are just right there in front of your face and then you know maybe you open up the medicine cabinet and it's full of their prescription drugs because they feel like shit uh they're taking all the drugs uh they're alcoholics they're drug addicts all smoke uh you know dope to hide the hide the reality and uh, not that I'm trying to piss off any of the marijuana, you know, users and stuff like that, but it's just, hey, man, you know, it's. Uh, uh, I think it's pretty good to uh, uh, to be sober in this world. Uh, I, I enjoy a good organic uh, tequila. Uh, one of my favorite vodkas comes from Sonoma County, which is uh, Hansen's organic vodka that comes from organic grapes in Sonoma, you know, so my father was a drinker, so I get it. It's okay to let loose, you know, once in a while, but just do it in a quality fashion. Fair enough. I like that. Um, you're 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 pretty you're pretty hardcore. You're pretty strict. But I'm glad to hear that you know you do make exceptions uh, at times too. So there's the last question I want to ask you in terms of the health stuff because I know you and I are on the same page with this based on reading your book. What do you suggest for people in terms of drinking water? What's give me like the hierarchy of water from the ultimate best drinking water to the shittiest possible water you could drink? All right. Well, as far as the ultimate, you know, bottled water, I think Pellegrino is pretty high up there, you know, loaded with sulfur, tremendous detoxifier. I only drink that out of a glass bottle. When I travel, it's I look for Fiji. If I can't find Fiji, I'll go with Evian. Uh, But, uh, you know, pretty much uh, then you start marching down the line and you find you reverse osmosis water. And then ultimately you get down to city tap water, which is loaded with birth control pills and antibiotics and statin drugs and all those things. So uh, we don't want to do that. When it comes to systems, I, a lot of people have, have a different opinion on theirs. On my website, uh, we sell one that comes out of California from uh, Laguna Woods called Pristine Hydro. Oh, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going so to interview him on my show. Yeah. Uh, he's in, he, you're going to have a good time <laughs> yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah. You're going to have a good time with that dude. Yeah. Um, wow, I can't wait to see that, Luke. That's cool. Yeah, uh, Pristine Hydro, but, really, really great place down in uh, Laguna Beach. Fantastic yeah, systems, yeah. yeah. 
uh, you know, five, you know, five step filtration process. Uh, and then they add back in some of the healthy minerals and then, you know, they run it over river rock and lodestone, naturally magnetized rock. And to a, to a cardiologist, you know, talking about magnetized rock and, and things like that and structured water. Yeah, of course, you know, any other cardiologist would laugh in your face and, and they would say, oh, what? it's H2O. It's just H2O. And then, yeah, you start getting into things you know, like PhD Gerald Pollock and structured waters and how water flows and how it flows through blood vessels and the exclusion zone and maintaining structure. And once you educate patients on that and you see the results, it just makes, uh, it just makes sense. But I guess ultimately, Luke, I would say it, at a basic level, you have to go with reverse osmosis. If you say, you know what, I've only got 200 bucks to spend on a water system, spend it on the reverse osmosis system because at least it pulls out all of the poison and all the chemicals. And once you do that, I think you're in a pretty good place. Right. I've heard some people say that um, if you do like distilled water or RO or reverse osmosis water where the water's depleted of everything that it came with, and it's sort of like the DNA stamp of it has just been totally blotted out and it just becomes like almost a pharmaceutical water that one of the things you can do is introduce a little bit of uh, like Himalayan sea salt into it, like your dispenser and sort of remineralize it and somewhat bring it back to life and give it a little alkalinity. Would you prescribe to that as a, as a remedy to kind of liven it back up again? Yeah, no, uh, definitely. I think, I think that's certainly a good idea. Uh, you know, from a cardiology standpoint, uh, Himalayan sea salt is still sodium chloride. Sure, there's some minerals that are in there and some trace minerals, but uh, there are many people that are salt sensitive, so I need them to be careful with it. But I, I think what you're saying is certainly great, and and there are plenty. You know, there's like you know drops and things like that you can right. put into that uh, to give the water. And then you know, if you put the water outside and let the sun come into the water and get some of that energy charge back into the water. Uh, I think, uh, you know, listen, people have been making tea outside, uh, you know, sun teas and things like that. I think right. it's tremendous. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess we're in agreement there that spring water, preferably in glass would be at the top of the food chain there in terms of the water. Like that's the optimum. Plastic is associated with cardiovascular disease. Plastic is linked to everything. BPA, uh, you know, from plastic and even BPA free products. A lot of questions on those. And I think that the future will tell us that they were harmful as well. So I don't think just because it's BPA free, uh, we drink everything out of glass. We store everything in glass. I don't like metal containers either for all the reasons that you and I both know. Yeah. Um, uh, I prefer to drink out of glass. The only time it's plastic is when I travel. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, I'm going to ask you our final question then. So you've taught me tons today. You've taught our audience. You have been our guru, our professor. Who have been three teachers or teachings, could be books, people, philosophies, anything that have influenced your work and your life? Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously there's so many tremendous mentors from the medical side that I've been involved with, but also in the holistic side. I will say Jonathan Wright, uh, MD, one of the first books, Luke, I read when going natural was Why Stomach Acid is Good for You by Jonathan Wright. And it's like, oh my God, why stomach acid is good for you? Just the title, like, wait a second. Oh yeah, that's why whoever built us gave us stomach acid. <laughs> uh, and we're trained in medical school that stomach acid is bad. We need to turn it off with drugs and it's okay to do so. So Jonathan Wright's book, why stomach acid is good for you. I will say, uh, you know, Weston A. Price, uh, you know, the teachings of them, I think they're a little heavy on the sprouted grains and they're a little heavy on the raw dairy as far as pushing that agenda. I think those things are okay uh, on occasion, but the, you know, the teachings and the readings of Weston A. Price, 
from there, you know, there's so many others, but um, I did, I learned a lot, lot, lot from my father. While he was healthy, I learned a lot as a young cardiologist, and I learned a lot in his death. And the ultimate mentor uh, to me has been my wife, uh, Dr. Heather, and so many brilliant chiropractors that are out there. I think chiropractors should be the primary care docs, and if your chiropractor can't figure it out, then let them refer you out to someone else to try and help out. Wow, powerful statement, man. Definitely. Thanks, dude. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for the recommendations. Lastly, where can we find you, your book, and your work? Uh, our website, my wife and I together, are the Doctors Wolfson. Uh, Doctors is abbreviated DRS, thedoctorswolfson.com. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And uh, we're trying to get the message out there. The book is available on my website. The book is also an Amazon bestseller. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, when you get on CNN and you have an anti-vaccine message that generates dozens and dozens of complaints to the Arizona Medical Board, of which I had to hire a fancy Washington, D.C. First Amendment attorney to defend my medical license, which is actually very easy to defend. It's First Amendment rights and it's case closed. Uh, I can say whatever I want. If a medical doctor cannot debate the value of a medical procedure, what do we have? Uh, what, what country are we living <laughs> right? in? Wow. Um, but, but nonetheless, a lot of the money that we generate goes to those legal bills to protect the legal docs. Uh, you know, the, the, the holistic docs like us. So we appreciate everybody's support. Awesome. Uh, and there you have it, man. I appreciate being on your show, dude. Thanks so much. Me too. So much amazing value given. Much appreciated. And I'll look forward to speaking with you again, Jack. I want to make a prediction as we end the show. I'm predicting that your head, your brain is very full of information now after that interview with Dr. Jack Wolfson. That was a long one and it was action packed. When I listened back to this one actually to do my intro and my outro, which is, hey, inside scoop, that's how I do it. Um, I was like, damn, we covered a lot of stuff. There was really a lot of great, um, great answers from him and really good information about leading a healthy lifestyle. And that's what this show is all about. So I hope that you are inspired. I hope that we busted some myths in terms of the medical industry and different diet fads and crazes and things like that. It's kind of one of my favorite things to do is sort of dispel common beliefs and sort of uh, conspiracies, I guess you could say, within the health community and just the medical industry in general. So I trust that we did that and that you enjoyed it. And if you did, you know what would be awesome? You could just forward this episode to a friend, like share it with someone. I always request that. Uh, the show is really growing in popularity now. I'm getting tons of reviews um, in iTunes and five-star ratings and just really great feedback through the website. And I'm having a blast doing this show. So I think really how the show is growing from people like you uh, sharing it. So if you know someone that's into this lifestyle or curious about it, please forward it in whatever way you can. That being said... I would love for you to subscribe to the show on your device or iTunes, whatever you're listening to this on, so that you don't ca so that you don't miss next week's episode number 64 with Joe Piazza, where we talk about relationships and marriage in a really fun two-part episode on Tuesday and Friday. I like to say that I will see you then, but I won't see you. You will hear me then, God willing. All right, take care. Peace.